After the sermon, let's sing hymn nine, stanzas one through five. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, in Revelation 12, we see that the dragon, who is the devil, was not able to follow Jesus Christ into heaven after his ascension. The dragon or the devil was not allowed to go into heaven to accuse the brothers and the sisters the way he used to think at the time of Job. The dragon wanted to get in, but the archangel Michael and the other angels made war against him, blocked him, and dumped him unceremoniously down to this earth. We, we see there quite clearly a fulfillment of Genesis 3, verse 15, where the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. The resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, crushed Satan, crushed him so badly that he is no longer able to go into heaven and make accusations against us. And yet, Satan is not entirely finished off. We read in our text that for 42 months, he could do his work. And in, in light of the whole book of Revelation, 42 months, sometimes also described as three and a half years, and sometimes as 1,260 days, which is symbolic for the entire time period between Christ's ascension and his return on the last day of the world. So the dragon, Satan, is in this world, and he is busy trying to destroy the church of Jesus Christ. We should not underestimate his power. You look at his resume. Trained in the best school the world has ever seen, the school of angels, where the archangels and the angels were trained at creation to serve God and the elect, Satan knows the human mind. He knows the human nature. He has had millennia of learning to understand people, how to manipulate them, seduce them, and terrorize them. He knows people better than any psychologist or psychiatrist. He is relentless. He has a vested interest in destroying whomever he can and dragging them down to hell. He never rests on his laurels. He works tirelessly in an attempt to attack every believing person and get them to reject faith in Jesus Christ. We see that the devil is a, a serious opponent. He's described here as an enormous red dragon roaming the earth after each and every human being, both believer and unbeliever, and he uses his demons. But the devil wants more. He needs an accomplice. He needs a helper. And therefore, we read in our text and in the whole passage that he raises up a beast from the sea and a beast from the dry land. And we will see that these are human. And to put it simply, the beast from the sea is political power. And the beast from the dry land is religious power. And through these human accomplices, Satan is able to get closer to human beings to attack them and to seduce them. It is evil genius. The devil is no longer allowed to go into heaven and speak against us. But he is allowed to be here on this earth and meet, meet every one of us face to face and to try to destroy our faith, draw us away from Jesus Christ so that we never get to heaven either. Either way, either way, Satan is determined that God and his Son and the Holy Spirit 
will have as few people as possible to spend eternity with them. We will look at our text this afternoon under this theme, the dragon develops a new strategy by engaging a human accomplice. And that human accomplice is a hideous monster who rises from the sea, receives authority and might, and ravages with sword and captivity. That brings us to our first point, this hideous monster beast rises from the sea. Now John is still on the island of Patmos when he receives a new vision. And typically in Revelation, when you have a new vision, you receive new symbols. This is symbolic things that he sees. In other words, when John describes a beast with seven heads and ten horns and a crown on each horn, he's not talking about something literal. None of you will ever meet a beast with seven heads and ten horns, not literally. But the point of symbolism is to make clear upon us that spiritually and really we will meet monsters. There be beasts among us, brothers and sisters. Monsters of your worst nightmare may not have seven heads, may not have ten, ten horns, but it is just as dangerous, just as seductive, just as destructive as the worst nightmare that you've ever had. We meet here the dragon standing on the shore of the sea. At first glance, he seems a forlorn figure. He's been booted out of heaven. He seems so powerless here on earth, and he's standing there like a forlorn figure on the shore of the sea, but he's not. This dragon, this devil, is seething with rage. And he stands at the sea, because here the sea is the same thing as the abyss, the abode of the devil and the demons. And when the abyss is unlocked, they come out. And the dragon, the devil... He's gone back to the sea, and he's, he's waiting for something. We read that I saw a beast coming out of the sea. He had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on his horns, and on each had a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. Now, literally, it says in Greek, I saw a beast going up from the sea. The Greek is very clear. This beast didn't just suddenly lumber quickly out of the sea and pop on the land before the dragon. But John, he sees the dragon, this enormous red dragon standing at the shore of the sea, angry, looking intently into the water. And John sees that the water starts to stir up. It becomes turbulent. And he sees something start to rise. Ten horns emerge from the water, a crown on each horn. And then seven heads appear underneath that and it rises slowly out of the water. And then the most hideous beast he has ever seen. It is the body of a leopard and a bear and a lion. In fact, its mouth is that of a lion. Indeed, that's its worst feature, its ability to speak and to slander and to seduce people. It's an unbelievable figure that arises here from the sea. I would certainly hope that our children, when they hear of this passage of the dragon and the beast, that you don't minimize it. That you don't say, okay, what's, what's this all mean? 
Think of dragons. Think of beasts. And if tonight you have something of a nightmare, I would almost say well and good. Have a nightmare. Be afraid. Very afraid. We're talking here about a monster that can destroy your life. We're talking here about a monster that can take you away from God for eternity. A monster, parents, that meet your children every time you go onto the internet, every time they leave your home, every time they open a magazine or a book, they meet a monster who's out to destroy their life. Don't minimize this. Don't turn it into a friendly little purple dragon because we're talking here about a monster. Now, when you look at that monster, you say to yourself, there is something vaguely familiar about this beast. Ten horns, seven heads. Where have I heard that before? And then you remember, back in chapter 12, verse 3, that's the description of the dragon. We read there in Revelation 12, verse 3, Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his heads. This beast that comes out of the sea looks a lot like the dragon or the devil himself. All these heads and these horns and and even crowns on his horns, you realize that the beast is the image of the devil. This is his child. There is a parallel in this passage between God and the Son and the Holy Spirit and the dragon and the first beast and the second beast. Even as God so loved the world, he gave his only son to be born a man to to redeem this world, and then he sent the Holy Spirit to reveal the gospel. So the dragon, the devil, he sent his own child into this world to be a man, to destroy the world. And indeed, the second beast, like the Holy Spirit, he is the great teacher, the prophet, the seducer that tries to lead the world to worship the dragon and the devil himself. The idea that the devil or the dragon has children is not a new concept in the Bible. Back in John 8, when our Lord Jesus Christ was met with unbelieving, blasphemous Jews, he said to them, you belong to your father the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language for he is a liar and a father of lies. For us, the big question is, who is this beast that rises from the sea? Who is this image? Who is this child, this son of the devil himself? Already we start to understand it is a human being. And indeed that's confirmed for us in a parallel passage from which the imagery of our text comes, and that's Daniel 7. We read Daniel 7 together and we saw those four beasts rise from the sea. And those four beasts, says Daniel, represent earthly kingdoms, successive kingdoms. For instance, Babylon itself, then Persia, then Greece, and finally the Roman Empire. Now John, he blends those beasts together into one. He takes all kinds of facets from from Daniel 7 and he brings it together in one beast. So he's not thinking of different world empires 
But in these final days of the world, between the first and the second coming of Jesus Christ, John sees all world power. He sees it as one enormous, hideous beast, which is opposed to Jesus Christ and the gathering of his church. In fact, the mentioning of the seven horns and the, or the, or the seven heads and the ten horns makes it even clearer. The number seven in the book of Revelation is a very important number, which means perfect or complete. And the ten horns, horns represent awesome power. So the beast that John sees is the beast of completeness, of perfection, of total power. He has even more horns than Jesus Christ himself has in Revelation 5. John looks globally. He looks universally at human power, political power, which stands totally opposed to Jesus Christ and his church. So the beast is a man. But he's not just one man at a certain point in time. The very fact that we read in verse 5 that he was given authority for 42 months means this beast is around from the time of Christ's ascension to his return. This beast is here today. The beast is with us. He walks here on this earth. He has come out of the sea as the child of the devil himself to wreak havoc among humanity. This beast is human. This beast represents human power. It represents government, perhaps industry, banking, the education system, secular education system, all out to destroy anyone from believing in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We read that the dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. And that needs to be connected with the next verse where we read one of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. It doesn't take a genius to connect this to Genesis 3, verse 15, where God promised that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. The wound that John sees in the head of the beast is the wound inflicted by Jesus Christ who died on the cross of Golgotha, but then was raised in victory, crushed the power of Satan, also crushed the power of the beast, and he became victorious. And you see that because when Jesus Christ was raised and he poured out his Holy Spirit on Pentecost, and suddenly the whole world was clearly belonging to him. Instead of sending the gospel to just the little people of Israel in a little, little backwaters area of the world, the gospel began to spread throughout the whole world. And to this day, you find it in any place in the world among all tribes, peoples, and languages. The dragon has been slain. The beast, which is world power, political power, governments, has been dealt a deadly wound and cannot stop the spreading of the gospel. And yet, the wound is healed. Satan has not curled up and died. Our world has not curled up and died and says, Jesus, you are the King of kings, the Lord of lords. We step back. You take over the world. No, the beast rises up. The wound is healed. He has an opportunity still to reach out and grasp the attention of the world and to draw them away from believing in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. 
And this earthly power we're talking about has been so tremendously successful that there are many who worship the beast rather than our Lord Jesus Christ himself. Brothers and sisters, is that not the reality of the world in which we live? We have seen the beast. We have seen him from both sides, from the side of brutality and from the side of seduction. There are people sitting here this afternoon who have lived in the time of Adolf Hitler, Stalin, Mao Zedong, the Khmer Rouge, Bosnia, Rwanda. They have seen tens of millions of people killed by monsters like Hitler and Stalin and Mao Zedong, especially targeted were not just the Jews, but also the Christians. Look at how the Christian church has been crushed and virtually wiped out of Russia and China itself. And even today, there are Christian boys and girls in this world They are so terribly crushed that the only way they can survive is if the girls enter into a life of prostitution, forced prostitution, and these boys become soldiers who murder others. The beast is with us. These are monsters. These are world powers that destroy humanity and destroy the church of Jesus Christ, even attacking boys and girls. But we've also seen its seductive side. If you think of Canada itself, you see how many people look to the state, to hospitals, to doctors, to the education system for money, for health, for pension, even for moral issues and spirituality. Brothers and sisters, there was a a motto in the time of the French Revolution, ni Dieu, ni Maître, no God. No master. And it's become the motto of modern man. We have no God. We have no master. We have the government. We have society. We have education. We have industry. We have banking. That will provide us with everything we need for body and soul in life and in death. The beast is here. And the results are catastrophic. We live in a a day and age where we see so many families crumbling. We see young people caught up in a world of, of drugs and of sexual immorality. We see the perversity of a man who, a doctor who performs abortions, heralded as a hero, whereas a young mother, deeply depressed, who kills her child, is treated mercilessly as a, as a monster. We live in a world where a man who kills a dog is told he might be put in jail for 10 years. Someone who kills a man gets a slap on the wrist and maybe he's in prison for two years. We live in a topsy-turvy world where the name of God is not being praised and man is being dragged down a horrible path by a huge slimy beast who turns us away from knowing God and his word and living to his praise and glory. And now we read that the beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for 42 months. He opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. So the beast has a big mouth and he knows how to use it. 
Every horn has a blasphemous name written on it. And he's all about blasphemy. He slanders God. He slanders heaven. He slanders everybody who's there. And to understand that, remember what is told to us about heaven in Revelation 4 and 5. God seated there on the throne with a sea of glass, a rainbow around him, with the four living creatures, with the songs and hymns, and with the 24 elders. And the 24 elders represent all the believers of the Old and the New Testament who have already gone to heaven and are praising God. And you know what, brothers and sisters? We are in heaven as well. Paul makes very clear in Ephesians 2 that whoever believes in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, who has been redeemed by grace alone, is already seated in the heavenly places. Heaven is our home. Heaven is our commonwealth. Heaven is the place where our Lord Jesus Christ is preparing a place for us. But the beast slanders it all. Slanders God, slanders our dwelling place, and slanders us as believers. Again, we see that only too well in our day and age. We have seen, brothers and sisters, for instance, in the last 10 years or so, anytime there is some sort of catastrophe here in Canada, and all kinds of religious groups get together with the prime minister and officials, you can say whatever you want, but don't use the name of God. There's a horrifying plane crash and hundreds of people die. The name of God may not be used even once. The blasphemy of the name of God. It's like he doesn't even exist here in our world and in our country. And think of George Bush. Whatever you think about him and his foreign policies, the fact is one of the things that George Bush has stood up for is his faith in God. And when 9-11 occurred, he was the one who read Psalm 23, which we just sang together. It was time to call on the name of God. And as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, says George Bush, our only hope is in the living God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. But for that, he is despised. And whatever he says about capital punishment or about abortion or same-sex marriage, he is vilified for that. And his reputation is being absolutely destroyed. And now here in our own country, we have a government now for a while, which we say is going the right way, the government of Stephen Harper. And we heard voices about we need to do something about abortion and and same-sex marriage, and we should even revisit capital punishment. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Because in our country, for our government to take that course to do anything that God calls for in his word, is certain self-destruction. You do not follow God in Canada. If you do, you do so to your peril. Where is the hope? Where is the dream? Where is the praise for our God? The hope, the dawn of a new and better day when Jesus Christ returns on the clouds of heaven? It ain't there, brothers and sisters. If you put something in the journal and say, this Friday night we're going to have a conference and we'll tell you how beautiful will be the return of Jesus Christ, you'll get a handful of people. But if someone else puts in the paper, we're handing out very cheap retirement properties on Vancouver Island. There will be a a lineup right across Edmonton. The dream is about retirement. It's about pension. It's about health. 
It's beauty, sexuality. That's what counts in our land. Not our God. His name is blasphemed sometimes simply because it's not allowed to be used. And it doesn't stop with such attitudes. We read that he was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. We're talking real brutality and persecution. Indeed, in John's own day, we read in the letters to the seven churches in chapters 2 and 3, Christians lost their jobs, were thrown in prison, they were even executed because of their faith in Jesus Christ. During the past century, Adolf Hitler killed millions of Christians, as did Stalin. And many Christians are dying, brothers and sisters, every day and every week in our world. Someone wrote, someone who appears to know what he's talking about, that the number of Christians who die for their faith in our world every year run into the tens of thousands. Do you believe that? You ever heard anything like that? Tens of thousands of Christians die for their faith here in our world. And even in our own case, how many people haven't lost their job because they refuse to work on Sunday? Or they refuse to, com- to, to compromise their ethics at work? Right now, here in Canada, there are people before human rights tribunals and before the courts because they wrote a letter to the editor about the dangers of same-sex marriage. Their names, their reputations have been destroyed in the public press. They're facing fines, possibly even imprisonment. And perhaps something that really takes the cake is when you think of someone like Stockwell Day, a minister in our present government. He was asked to bring a pedophile back from a foreign prison. He's been slow in doing that for obvious reasons. And he has been accused. His name has been dragged through the press. They said, you know what his problem is? You know what Stockwell Day's problem is? He is a fundamentalist Christian. Enough said. If you're a Christian, you don't belong in the government. You don't, you're not a, a, you shouldn't be a leader, a shaker, a mover here in this land if you're a Christian. Because then you're a pervert. You're an idiot. You're going to mess everything up. Christians don't belong in leadership positions because they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're talking about. The beast is among us, brothers and sisters. That beast is our government. It is industry. It is banking. It is public opinion. It is the press. And it is out to destroy the name of our God and to put down anyone who dares to believe in God and to follow him. However, our text does make clear, no matter how severe are the attacks of the beast, God will always protect us and always take care of us. We read, all the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. All whose names have not been written in the book of life belonging to the land that was slain from the creation of the world. On a number of occasions in the book of Revelation, we read about the book of life. The book of life is God's record in which he writes down the names of all those children who belong to him, who will spend eternity with him. They are there because the lamb was slain. Their names are written there in the blood of Jesus Christ. He has redeemed them for the power of the dragon, for the power of the beast, caused them to be children of God who live to his praise and his glory. 
Now, there's, there's one difficulty in this sentence when it ends with the words, from the creation of the world. It almost sounds like it's saying, Jesus Christ, the Lamb, he was slain from the foundation of the world. It's a hard text, but that's not what it says. But our text says, the book of life belongs to the Lamb who was slain for us. Our names are in that book because of Jesus Christ, but those names have been there from the beginning of the world. We're talking here about God's election. God chose us even before the world was made. God sent His Son into the world to save the names of all those who are in the book of life. We understand that after God elected us, sent His Son to die for us, there's now nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And if that were not enough to comfort and strengthen us, brothers and sisters, then notice how often we read about the beast. He was, was given a mouth. He was given power. He was given authority. Who gave the beast this power, this, this authority? Who gave it to him? The dragon says, I gave it to him. Dragon, devil, you don't have power. You don't have authority. The only one who can give power and authority to both the dragon, that's the devil, and the beast who comes from the sea is Almighty God Himself. Martin Luther once wrote, even when the devil does his very worst, he is still God's devil. Meaning that the devil is under the power of God. The devil cannot move. He can't do a thing unless God allows it. So when Hitler and Stalin were murdering all those Christians, when Christian boys and girls in places like Sudan and Congo are forced into prostitution and to be boy soldiers, when any one of us loses a job or, or is demoted because of our faith, we refuse to compromise our faith, that happens only because God allows it. God only allows the beast to do that to us. And that should give us a great deal of comfort, brothers and sisters. It may raise some really big questions why God would do that, but it should comfort us that God who loves us so much that he gave his son to die for us, he wouldn't let us be hurt. He wouldn't let, let us be separated from his love. But we do have a question. God, why in the world would you allow the beast to do all these things? Why would you give him that kind of authority? That Christians are being killed. Christians are, are in prison. Christians lose promotion. Christians can't even govern this country properly. Well, we read in the last two verses of our text, he who has an ear, let him hear. In other words, pay attention. Pay attention, please. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity, he will go. If anyone is to be killed with a sword, with a sword, he will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. Pay close attention, brothers and sisters. If you are a Christian, solidly believes in Jesus Christ, and shows it in the way you live, the way you work, you're going to be noticed by the world, by the devil, and by the beast. You will be spotted out and you will be attacked one way or the other. It might be subtle. You might not get the promotion. 
You might be excluded from certain groups that you were hoping to be a part of because it would be advancement of career or maybe even certain pleasures here in this world. The world will notice and it will harass you. Some places of the world you'll be killed for it. In other places the worst thing that might happen is you lose your job. But you know, the beast, he's not out to hurt you. The beast really doesn't want to kill you. He really doesn't want you to lose your job. What he wants is to rattle you so much that you say, I give in. I'm not going to lose my job. I'm not going to give up earthly pleasures, you know, just, just to follow Jesus. I give in. I'll go along. I'll play along so I have my job. I can have all the pleasures. I can indulge in, in everything that the world has to offer. And then we begin to understand, brothers and sisters, what really our text is saying, especially if we combine it with other parts of Scripture, like James 1, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials and tribulations, for this is the testing of your faith. God allows the beast to have authority to persecute and to harass us, to make us sharp. Instead of just coasting through life, You've got to make decisions. You've got to live life on the edge. Life excited. You realize there are two ways. There's a long, wide road to hell. And there's the narrow road to glory with Jesus Christ. Which do you want? Do you want the pleasures of this world? And to get along with everybody? Are you willing to stand up? Take your cross? Take the blows the world is going to throw at you, but you love Jesus Christ and you will follow him straight into eternity. Brothers and sisters, what are we to do when our government, our culture, our media force us to choose between God and them? To choose between God and our job, God and freedom, God and acceptance by the world. Do you run and hide? Do you get a gun and try to shoot somebody? Do you compromise your faith? Our text says, if anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity he will go. If anyone is to be killed with a sword, with the sword he will be killed. Our text isn't saying here, well, just, just curl up and, and die and let the world do what it wants. But if you have to go to jail, or if you have to be killed because of your faith, accept it. Accept it joyfully, gladly. Take up your cross, follow Jesus, no matter what the consequences may be. John himself was doing that on the island of Patmos. In his day and age, Christians were being killed for their faith. He wrote a letter to Smyrna, while Polycarp, the bishop of Smyrna, he was put on the stake and he was burned and had a spear thrust through his heart, through his body. And he gladly died for his Lord Jesus Christ. We have a more modern example. You may have heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a Lutheran theologian. When the Second World War broke out and the Lutheran church in Germany championed Hitler as a latter-day Christ, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, sitting safely in the United States, quickly returned to Germany, stood up to Hitler and said, you are wrong. And he called the Lutheran church, the Protestant church, to repentance and reformation. He was thrown into a concentration camp. He was executed for his faith. But everywhere, everybody in that prison said, 
that man, he was joyful and he was happy and he gladly gave his life for Jesus Christ. And in that way, he was more than a conqueror. In his blood, in his horrible, you would say totally unnecessary death, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he won. You don't win because you're faster than the devil or you're smarter than the devil or you're stronger than the devil. You win, but you are obedient to Jesus Christ. Anyone who looks the devil in the eye and says, go ahead, give me your best shot. Throw at me whatever you want. Want to take my job? Want to take my freedom? Want to take my life? Go ahead. Into captivity, I'll go. Death, I will face, but I love Jesus. And you know what? Satan is defeated. He's absolutely powerless. And you go on to everlasting glory. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on our part. Brothers and sisters, it has to be very clear in our minds what is important to us. Are you willing to take up your cross and joyfully follow your Lord Jesus Christ? If you thought that this text and this sermon was going to be a a feel-good sermon to take away the the rough edges from this horrible specter of the enormous red dragon and this horrible beast that rises from the sea, you're wrong. We don't smoothen the edges. We don't say, it's okay, It's, it's not that bad. It is bad. It's terrible in our world. Parents... Raising children in our, in our modern culture, in our, in our society, where the name of God is not even allowed to be used or to be praised. You say, what is the future of our children? How are they going to be harassed? What kind of privileges will they have in the coming hundred years? What about our grandchildren? Yes, it is a rough world out there. And the attacks of Satan will not get any easier. But have your eyes wide open. Understand how dangerous the devil is. Know what's standing against you in the form of the first beast and the second beast. And then be clear in your mind, by the grace of God, that you say, you know, better than the short, fleeting pleasures of the devil is the glory and the joy that I have in my Lord Jesus Christ. I take up my cross. I follow Jesus no matter what. Be clear, brothers and sisters. Be clear in your mind. Which way will you choose? How do you respond to the word of God that you heard today? Amen.